0: Welcome, everybody. Spit the Spit podcast. Scott Bass, David Lee Scales with you on this Tuesday, January 28th. It's a beautiful day in Southern California. A light Santa Ana. Winds rolling in, warming air temperatures. The sun is out. David, where are you and why?
1: I might actually be in an even more idyllic location than you, Scott. I am sitting on the lanai of our condo in Kauai. Oh, right now. our condo.
0: Who's with you? Oh, shoot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you have brought, a special friend? I brought
1: a romantic interest to Kauai. A um, little work-slash-pleasure cool. trip. <clears throat> and where in Kauai? We're actually staying near the airport in Lahui, just to kind of be centrally located to everybody. Um, I We just kind of wanted to get away Um in the new year little vacation after 2019 and i want to record a bunch of podcasts so dave parmenter is spending some time in Hawaii now and i was talking to him and that was kind of the first um i don't know the first thought of doing hawaii as a destination and then once i put the word out there's a whole bunch of other people that are uh worth recording with. So we've got a full docket of podcasts that we'll be recording. And through the modern Marvel of technology, you and I can still honor our spit obligation too. Well yeah,
0: absolutely. And that sounds good. Congratulations. It sounds like you've got a full docket and uh we look forward to listening to whatever you're gonna provide for us. I was curious to
1: ask you actually who would be on your list off the top of your head in Kauai specifically? Obviously Oahu, there Maui, there's tons of people. Kawhi is a little um, – I'm more under the radar in terms of board builders and industry folk.
0: Yeah, that's actually a good question. Is there anybody that you could think of? Um, it's a really good question. I mean I would – I personally would try to get Bill Hamilton um, if he's around. Oh, I, I don't even know if he's on the island still, but Bill Hamilton would have some good stories. You might be able to get Alana Blanchard. You might be able to get um, <clears throat> Bethany. Those are just some options that come right to the top of my head. But you're right, Kauai is pretty yep. underground. And, uh, yeah. Good call. I'll add him. Add him to the list. I mean, Bre- Brewer's over there. Dick Brewer's over there. But I'm not sure that would be the most fascinating podcast. Why not? Uh, you know, he's getting up there in age, just like all people that are getting older. It's, you know, they're just maybe not quite as quick as they once were he uh
1: was looking sprightly at his boardroom appearance last year right exactly that's a good get for the boardroom dude
0: yeah yeah i know we're excited about the boardroom thanks for bringing it up we're honoring pat rossin this year we've got a uh editorial piece on surfline and we're in full boardroom mode right now we're fully involved i was gonna say that's coming up super quick time to book hotel rooms yeah um Look, I got the funniest email the other day. Somebody was listening to our our last podcast. And for the listeners that don't know, we did a predictions podcast where Dave gave five predictions. Scott gave five predictions. And during those predictions, I did not speak of myself in the third person. However, you suggested that Zendaya and um, Baron Baron Mamiya Mamiya were going to hook up. Definitely. And somebody sent somebody randomly sent me a text. was like, hey, does Dave know that Zendaya is a trans? No. And I was like, what? I don't think so. I, and I don't even know who the person is. But you might want to look into that because that would be bad if you if you set up a Hawaiian with a trans. Why would that be bad? Maybe they're both into it, Scott. Oh wow, Scott, you're so I mean, unwoke, dude. Maybe. <laughs> I am. I'm very much unwoke. Get with it. But uh, anyway, Um, yeah. I I have a feeling that listener (laughs) might
1: be trolling you to get you to talk, to speak out of school on the podcast.
0: Well, it's worked because I've stepped on my foot twice.
1: Um, I'm looking. I just Googled it up right now. It says that she helped a transgender fan. Uh, There's no headlines coming up about her being trans. I think there was another actress on the show that she's on, maybe that's trans.
0: Okay, well, regardless, I I just didn't want you to fly over to Wahoo and do a scuttlebutt.
1: <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for looking out for me. But I uh, would like to state that we are the most uh, progressive, forward-thinking podcast by uh, even by even mentioning that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've. I know, I've cut my trans fats from my diet and um, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever it takes. I could tell
1: last time I saw you, dude. Yeah. You're looking svelte. Um, well, dude, we had some pretty huge news in surf this week.
0: Yeah, right? John John Florence. Do we lead with that? Is that how we open the show? Um. I mean, that's what I thought you were referring to, but... I mean, it is. But, it uh, is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. So
1: Hurley had... When John John started writing for Hurley, he signed an eight-year, thirty million dollar deal, which comes to about three point seven five a year. That's from Hurley alone. So obviously he's got other sponsor deals. Obviously he's earning money um, through contest winnings and everything else. But three point seven five from Hurley, he still has twelve million dollars left in that deal, as we reported in our last show or two. Um, Nike sold Hurley to Blue Star Alliance, and they're not re-upping anybody's contracts. They're actually cutting. All of their marketing money. I think it was from. I forget what. Do we, do you remember what the total marketing uh, budget was? Thirty million down to three million, maybe. I'm not positive. I don't know. I think that's what it was. Um, so, anyways, none of the athletes are getting renewed. They were going to let the athletes finish their contracts, but apparently, the Blue Star attorneys have come in and look for loopholes through all the contracts and are just trying to get people out so they don't have to pay them out. So, anyways, they offered John John. Of the $12 million that he still had in earnings ahead of him, they offered him a $2 million buyout outright, and apparently John has taken it. Apparently John has decided that if he does continue to try to finish, I guess it would be two and a half years of the contract, um, there's probably going to be a lot of hoops to jump through. They're probably going to require a lot of, I don't know, public appearances, stuff that he just doesn't want to do. So in lieu of that, he took the $2 million payout and he is sticker free on his board.
0: Wow, and this is kind of reverberating through the you know, the business hallways of the surf industry because As you know, and as everyone knows, John John Florence is sort of the biggest name, at least in North American surfing and um, potentially the world, um, understanding that Gabe Medina is quite a powerhouse in South America and beyond. but So everyone's kind of scratching their head going, okay, well, John's out there, um, he's a free agent, he's looking for a deal, and what does this mean? What is this going to look like? Um, Is he going to be able to get a non-endemic, somebody like, as you mentioned, and we'll just throw out um, Rolex as a generic brand. Is he going to get a Rolex type company or an Adidas or or some non-endemic to sign him to something that's close to what he was getting from Hurley? And if he can, this is really good for the rest of the professional surf world and for the surf space in general. If he cannot, and he has to kind of I don't want to say come cowering back, but he has to look to somebody like um, Billabong or somebody like that. Um, They're obviously going to pay him pennies on the dollar. This is a complete, as uh, I was reading, Ashton wrote a piece in Stab. This is going to be a complete reset of the marketability of professional surfers. So everyone's kind of waiting with bated breath to see if John can get some. If John gets a big deal, it's going to be good for everyone else. If he can't get a big deal, if he the brightest star can't connect, it's going to be bad. And frankly, as big a deal as this is for John, I feel like this is a litmus test for the WSL as well. If their best and brightest star um, isn't marketable non-endemically then it's a big lose for the WSL. Now on the other side if John gets a deal it's a win for the WSL. They've proven to the surf world and the rest of the mainstream world that world surf league's on the rise, professional surfing's on the rise and their star athletes are marketable beyond, you know, you and I. I doesn't it kind of feel like a square peg
1: in a round hole at this point though? Like I think that the era of surfers getting paid by a brand that it, that being their main paycheck and them kind of honoring all of these obligations to that brand is kind of done. Um, I feel like John John, like I've stated in the past, when Kelly left Quicksilver, it was because what can Quicksilver possibly provide Kelly that he can't provide for himself? Kelly as a brand is almost bigger than Quicksilver, and. Maybe not bigger, but it certainly limits his opportunities to do a lot of different things because it would be a conflict of interest if he's in bed with Quicksilver. And I feel like just look at um, Gabriel Medina is probably even a better example because he has the biggest social media following. I think it's like 8 million people at this point. So what can any brand provide him that he can't really provide for himself? He could probably earn just as much money through doing brand collaborations, whether it's for... I don't know, a branded line of sneakers or a branded just one off something that he receives back end on. Maybe doesn't get paid the full amount up front, but there's a million opportunities for earnings um, in the way that the Kardashians have leveraged their own individual brand and then done product lines. There's a million of those opportunities for pro surfers now, and I think they need to start really looking at it with a much, much broader scope. And especially if their currency is the visual medium, because Jamie O'Brien embracing YouTube to have his vlog. Somebody like Gabriel or Idolo or Felipe or Julian Wilson with his Brad Pitt looks, or John John certainly with all of his talent, could really, really stake their claim and become bigger than any surf brand could ever promise them. You
0: know, I I, I read what you're saying. I don't. I personally don't think John John's that marketable. I think Kelly is marketable. I think there's people that are marketable. I don't think. Your average guy on the street really gives two craps about John John Florence. Now, they might go, oh, yeah, Kelly Slater, or they might even in Australia especially be like, oh, Julian Wilson, he's the good-looking bloke and all, you know. So I just think that the idea that you and I know that John John Florence is the most dynamic surfer in the world, and so he's marketable for us, but I don't think on a mainstream level, John John Florence moves the needle at all. Now, there are surfers, I mean – you know i'll i'll say it i think laird moves the needle for people uh you know on fifth avenue i think laird moves the needle in europe i think um kelly moves the needle for mainstream people like my my brother in connecticut knows who kelly slater is my nephews and nieces in on the east coast know who kelly slater and laird hamilton is they don't really know who john john florence is they don't really you know i so i I think there's other personalities that that if I was a non-endemic, I'm I'm not necessarily going. Oh yeah, he's the greatest surfer, so we should sign him. I'm looking at it like, who's moving the needle? Who's on Instagram going crazy? Who is the 18 year old you know kid on the street fired up on? You know what's the demographic I'm trying to touch, and does this guy do that for me? And there's so many people. There's so many ambassadors out there, and and to to think that um, this niche of surfing like has this big sway as far as marketing. I just don't think it does. I mean, I personally am like, you know, I, I may be more moved by, you know, some really great Ted talk person or, you know, I, I just don't think that surf, surfing's that right. big of a deal on the mainstream
1: level. Dude, you make a really good point. I actually had in my notes is John, John past his prime because I did think about that too. And Uh, he's so prone to injury, first of all. So we, I'm wondering if his ascent peaked at the exact moment that Hurley was owned by Nike and they could pay him the biggest contract of all time. Like those two details happened in the right moment. And part of John John's authentic self is being private and not wanting to be, um, you know, as accessible maybe as Kelly Slater allowed himself to be when he was in his prime. And Hurley used that in their marketing where it was like, we'll give you these glimpses into his world, but he's really a private person. So let's give him a space. And that kind of created an allure where he became a mythical figure. But I agree with you. That was really Mar- uh, Hurley's marketing team understanding John John's asset and. Using it accurately, I don't know that it translates beyond that one moment in time. Because what translates now, or just what sells now, is shameless flogging of yourself and completely opening your underwear drawer to everybody for everybody to see all of your personal business. And that's just not who John John is. So I agree with you. I kind of agree. John John's not the guy anymore in this new world order that we're kind of hypothesizing will take place i agree he's probably not the guy and what if the beyond that what if the wsl continues to um struggle to really find their way and they could seize up the wsl could not exist the way that we know it in two years from now and it could be specialty events and so that also takes a lot of Gravity off of this one pinnacle world champ? Because right now, John John can hang his hat on the fact that he's a two-time world champ and Eddie winner and all that stuff. But what if the world champ isn't that meaningful in two years from now? What if the free surf edit guy is equally as important and the big wave world tour guy, Billy Kemper, is just as important? Then none of it seems to matter. Then you really have to go out and gain a YouTube following,
0: you know? Well, absolutely. And I would, you know, we had our prediction show last time I sort of feel like I I agree with what you're saying. I could see in two years the whole the whole format as we know it completely blown up with professional surfing, and we truly do go to this UFC thing. Hey, we just want to see a you know an all day surf contest between Gabe and John John Florence at Canduie or something, you know, and it's a pay per view event, and then. To, to further our discussion on John John and his marketability, look at it through the prism of say, um, let's just say like a Rolex or let's say a Toyota or, or whatever. Like let's say there's some food brand or, or there's like Columbia outerwear, whatever it is. Let's say you're the marketing guy, David, and you're saying to yourself, you know what? We need an ambassador. Who should we get? And there's a million great potential ambassadors for your company. I mean, there's like... You know, Luca Don. There's so many NBA stars. There's there's so many um, NFL stars. There's so many mainstream stars who already have a name, who everyone already knows, who are great guys that we could sign to a deal and that could move the needle for our company. John John Florence, some pro surfer from Hawaii who nobody knows, is not even in the conversation.
1: I completely agree. I wonder if that is kind of what John John's okay with. I don't. I wonder if he's actually chasing down. The next contract, or if he goes, Look, I've made 10 million bucks or more than that now, I guess it would be 20 million bucks. Um, I'm fine, I'm set for life. My kids' kids are set for life. I want to get on a sailboat and go surf the best waves in the world. And maybe I'll put out a video at it once a year or something, but he doesn't seem to be the guy who needs to
0: chase the limelight. Well, good for him. I hope that's how he moves it, but. I mean, whatever makes him happy. If he wants to chase down another contract, that's great too. If he does, my question to you is where does he land in the surf space if he's not going to go all out to Rolex? I don't. I can't see any logical
1: uh, surf brand that would be able to pay him what he feels that he's worth or that he feels would align with his own brand. Do you?
0: Well, i got a couple thoughts. One is – Look, Hurley just has blown up in the last you know eight months. Hurley is basically, it's like persona non grata at the specialty retail level. If you go into like Jack's or Surfride, I'm assuming that they're like, let's get this Hurley shit off of our floor. We don't want anything to do with it. It's the new sold out brand and none of the kids down at the beach want anything to do with Hurley anymore. So that tells me this. Okay, we've got a bunch of floor space. We need some hardcore brands, some like salty crew type brands to fill this void. And I got to thinking about Hurley and I'm like, okay, so I truly believe that, for instance, I think Machado could make a brand if he really put his mind to it and got the right people around him. We Why not buy just Machado instead of Hurley? It's just called Machado and it's, and it's you know, all about, you know, it's clothes and wetsuits and it's Machado. Did you get your new pair of Machados? I think that he's, I think he could do that. Now, I don't know if John John Florence could do that. But my point is, is that there is a void in the specialty retail space for another brand. And I think the specialty retail space is jonesing for new brands. They're jonesing for these types of salty crews to to come up through the ranks and to establish themselves as core brands and um, not brands that you're going to find, you know, at Costco or Walmart. And and I think the opportunity is there for somebody. I don't know if it's Machado. I don't know who it is or what it is or what the brand is, but I'm sure that there are people, even like Ryan and Jeff Hurley, who are going. Let's make a brand. You know, like Let, we know how to do this. We've got all the relationships. All we got to do is, you know, build some clothes. You know, do some marketing. Put together a budget, and we're kind of off and running. And we have capital too. I-
1: I hate to tell you, Scott, this might be your worst idea of all time, dude. Really?
0: Building a brand is a bad idea?
1: It is a terrible idea. In X. Did you ex, ask Baron uh, Mamaya who to wants
0: date a trans girl? That's a pretty bad idea. I
1: didn't ask him to. I'm telling. I'm predicting the future. That is what's going to happen. What I'm telling you <laughs> is look at Ke- look at Kelly Slater and Outer Known. Look at Dane and Craig Anderson with Former. Do you think any of those are considered successful examples? Who wants to wear?
0: Look at In Salty X Crew World Champs clothing line. Look at yeah, Salty, salty Crew's different. Well, I'm not salty sa- cru- look, is different. Salty. All, all I'm saying is there's a void. Somebody needs to make a brand. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying Machado's the greatest idea. I'm just throwing that out there that I think that there's opportunity for brands and for specialty retail to embrace a new brand. I think it's out there. I think there's a void. Whatever that looks like, I don't know. I, I, can- I don't
1: disagree with that statement. I'm saying. Look at Potts' line of clothing back in the day. Nobody wanted to wear Potts brand. There's Once you're past your pinnacle, athletes have a limited time, obviously, of earning potential. Once you're past that, isn't when you then try to capitalize on your brand image with a clothing line. There's other things that you could capitalize at that point. I think your uh, Jeff and Ryan Hurley example is a much, much better example because they're not trading on their, um, their athletic prowess from once upon a time they're trading on we understand the business the back end of the business we have all the supplier relationships and the distribution so we can go ahead and create a brand around that but again is do you think kelly do you think outer known is going to be around in 10 years from now is it considered a success currently is dane and craig's thing considered a success
0: well, again, all I was suggesting is that there's a void and somebody Answer like, my question, Scott. Answer my question. Well, I think you took my me throwing Machado's name out there. I'm just saying that the opportunity is ripe for somebody to fill this void. And if it's Ryan and Jeff Hurley and they decide to call it Machado or they call it Bumblebee or whatever the hell they call it, I don't know. <laughs> but my point is, is that... Specialty Retail is jonesing for a core brand like a Salty Crew to, you know, to come in. I Look, Salty Crew is a great example of a success,
1: um, but I don't know that specialty retail is even thriving. So to th- consider or to suggest that you would build a business that fills this niche in a struggling industry is also kind of a weird approach, you know. And by the way, does anybody... I mean, clothing. Getting into
0: clothing is well; it would be wetsuits, almost a it fool's would, errand. No, it would, right? it would be wetsuits and board shorts. It would be a core offering, and then of course you're going to fill out. You know, you're going to need a product line that includes other stuff, and and with that comes, hey, I like to wear this, you know, warm hoodie because it's cold at the beach. You know, like it's obviously you're. You know, we're kind of nitpicking. You it's know, what like we do best. I'm just throwing out a blanket. A blanket concept, but obviously it would be wetsuits and board shorts, which is what Hurley kind of was, and then of course there's a clothing line around it. You know, I bet they made way more money off their clothing line than they ever did off wetsuits and board shorts. But well, for sure. But you need a you need a foundational core product to be a, a core company. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just the United Colors of Benetton. I also reckon if you're going to do a clothing line,
1: uh, or what you're saying, that type of a brand, that You really got to be doing it for the love of it and understand that you're going to continue working 40 plus hours a week until retirement because it's a labor of love, dude. It is not an easy thing. And to be turning around new um, lines every single season and trying to push through all of that, it is a complicated, also super expensive and high risk high capital layout it's not for the faint of heart and so if you're somebody i going back to use the machado example if you're somebody who has been able to line your pockets with a pretty leisurely lifestyle for the last 10 and 20 years that business is the exact polar opposite
0: right yeah i'm not saying rob's going to be in the boardroom and making decisions i'm just saying that you know he probably and maybe Rob's a bad example, but, I mean, I'm sure he would invest some capital, and they might use his name. Maybe they'll use another name. Maybe they'll call it something else, and they'll use Ryan and Jeff Hurley, who are his good friends and who have all the relationships and understand distribution and can do all – it's kind of turnkey, right, as you mentioned, from that standpoint. It's just about – For those guys, it is. Yeah, and so it's like, okay, all we need is capital and we need a brand, and so whatever those two things are.
1: The Hurley boys also know nothing else, right? Like that is encoded into their DNA. It was how they were raised. That's their business. So it'd make a lot of sense for them to continue going in that business, whether or not they go work for somebody else or even consult versus, um, you know, generate or uh, take capital and then just do it on their own. That's for them to decide. But it would make a lot of sense if we saw those guys remain in the business. Um, More than some of the athletes. Where
0: does John John Florence Um, land? Because I'm reading on here on Stab's comment section. There's quite a few people chiming in. What what are your thoughts on where John John Florence lands if, if in fact, he's looking for a hardcore, endemic uh, sponsor? I
1: don't think he does, to be honest. I think he he keeps his board sticker-free and he just focuses on surfing and winning a world title in 2020.
0: Wow, interesting.
1: I don't think there. I don't think it serves him. I really can't imagine a scenario where it serves him to put a brand's logo on the nose of his board at this point. And he certainly doesn't need the money. Like that two million. Consider that two million payout your paycheck for the next two years. A million bucks a year. So you're good. You don't need to work. And well, I don't see a scenario where a sticker on the nose adds value to John. A John million
0: Florence. bucks a year is, let's call it six fifty after taxes, and. He's probably got a pretty hefty overhead, although I'm sure he probably paid for his house with cash, so he just has property tax on his houses, and I guess he doesn't have a mortgage, so that helps.
1: I don't really... I don't think his overhead's that How much do you think it is? He lives a pretty simple life, How much do you think it is? 10 grand a month? I mean, I don't know. He's got a fancy sailboat. I know that.
0: Ooh, you're going to have to sell that. (laughs) (laughs) That's a money pit. Well, there's some people suggesting what about Vans, what about Patagonia. Um, He's already on Vans. Oh, duh. I'm just reading what I'm seeing here on these comments.
1: So, you know what the power move would be, to be honest, is um, if he did, I, I I guess Vans wouldn't be a good example. Um, my understanding of his deal with Electric was they couldn't pay him the amount of money that he wanted and so he took small equity share in the company how'd that work out i don't know i mean i think it's still part of the deal so that that is an option too as you move forward but obviously vans wouldn't vans is too big to really uh offer something like that but there's a bunch of different ways you could do it again I don't really see there being a lot of value added to his brand to put a sticker on his board. Um, not to move off of that but kind of in relation to it, did you see the trailer for the Gabriel Medina biopic?
0: No. Sounds interesting. Is so Zendaya in it?
1: The <laughs> I wish. Um, what? so Gabriel Medina <laughs> It Gabriel Medina, it's um globo is a globo sports the brazilian uh news sports outlet yeah they're doing uh exclusive documentary on gabriel medina it'll be available on january 31st which i guess is friday um on their premium platform so if you pay their monthly whatever it is you'll then have access to this and maybe we'll get to see it afterwards for free eventually but it's a biopic. It's a, it's a, uh, documentary about Gabriel Medina with a bunch of footage from his youth, all of the people surrounding him interviews with his dad interviews with Kelly Slater, all that stuff, which to be honest, I think this is a fantastic move for Gabriel. I really don't know that much about Gabriel. He keeps his cards pretty close to his vest. I mean, we see a lot of him, but we don't see behind the scenes. Really. We don't really know, you know, we know Charlie's his stepfather, but How did their relationship get so tight? And what was the situation with his real father? There's a ton of background info that they could fill in with this. The other reason I think it's amazing is he doesn't do free surf edits. We come from an era where surfers, well, did both things for a while. They would have competitive results and then they would do free surf edits throughout the year to bolster the competitive results, or they would only do free surf edits We've not seen Gabriel put anything out. We've seen Kelly put free surf edits out. John, John, Felipe, Idolo, all those guys put out free surf edits. We don't see that from Gabriel and we never have. So I'm actually really, really curious to see what this looks like and what his free surfing looks like outside of a jersey. If he's just focusing, if he goes on a trip and just focuses on doing the craziest air, it could be insane. He could be doing double, you know, double spins.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, It might be good to watch. It might be fun to watch. I don't know. It's curious to me that we're that John John has gotten so much of our focus when he doesn't beg for it at all. And he really almost. I don't know, he hasn't really um, given us as much as many of the results and as many of the talking points as Gabriel has. But as a collective media, we still focus on John John for guiding the way for us through this kind of, you know, uh, broken industry. We're, we're looking at John John to guide us when Gabriel really could be the one that we could be looking at. He's more, he's got more Instagram followers. I don't know how much his contract is with Rip Curl. I've never heard anybody disclose that, but how could it not be on par with John John's?
0: Yeah. Hmm, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of nationalism in the answer to your question. There's a lot of um Actually, that's a lot of it. It's just quite regional. You know, like we want our heroes. Brazil wants their heroes. France wants their heroes. And we're not really going to go to the other side, you know? Yeah.
1: Well, it seems to me that Gabriel uh, has more popularity around the world and probably even more like you said, people more notoriety, like people in non-surfing regions might know Gabriel Medina's name before they know John, John Florence's.
0: Yeah. But the reason that you and I like John, John Florence is quite frankly, because at least me, I can't speak for you, but the idea that he would just not go after, he would just go, okay, give me the 2 million. I'm out. You guys are kooks. I'm over Hurley. Cause you guys are lame and I'm just going to chill and do the tour and I might go sailing and, And I'm going to be off the radar a little bit. And there's something that's kind of like anti-hero about that, that the the anti-establishment kind of tone to that kind of makes me go, you know what? He's kind of core. Like that's kind of core. Like the non-core thing is to like put out a, hey, come check out my underwear drawer video, you know? And I know. I I agree with that. And you
1: look at Gabriel's board and it's got stickers from head to toe and there's kind of an ostentatiousness to it that I do agree offends my delicate sensibility. And plus any videos
0: that's put out by his camp, I'm kind of like, I don't want to see that. I want to see a video put out by somebody somewhat objective, you know, that's going to bring some conflict and some some reality to the situation. I don't really want to see a, hey, look at me, aren't I cool video. Or a series of videos about how cool I am and where I came from. I I don't know. Maybe I'm. Is too that what old. you said?
1: Is that what you said when John John Florence put out "View from a Blue Moon"? I don't want to watch this because John Johns can't
0: put it out. I never even watched that movie. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> That's my point, it's dude. Like... You are the worst. When was the last surf video that you watched?
1: Uh you mean? What do you mean? Like long form? I don't know anything
0: at all. Anything? Yes. Anything more than three minutes? Let's say. Um. Shoot. Uh, I did watch something. What was it? Well, I mean, I watched some neat essential stuff. That was more than three minutes, right? Wasn't that like fourteen minutes? That stuff of um, was it Torin and that and who's the um, who's the Aussie guy? Laurie. Yeah, Laurie Towner. Laurie. right? I watched yeah. that. Norderland. Norderland. Yeah.
1: So why? Let me ask you then. Why? Number one, why don't you watch, you know, any of the, I don't know, 10 to 20 that come out a week? And why did you watch that? Is it cinema? Is it the surfer? Is it the boards that
0: they're writing? Like what? Yeah, I don't think there's anything too compelling about surf cinema. Like I'm much more intrigued by, you know, some really great storytelling from really great storytellers, like say, you know, something from Hollywood or some indie filmmaker that's just really, really, really good. Like surfing is kind of, you know, a three minute edit gets me fired up. I'm stoked. I'm stoked to watch, you know, Tom Lowe at a slab somewhere. I'm stoked to watch, you know, Asher Pacey ripping some sandbar. It gets me fired up to surf. I don't go there to you know for breaking bad type like really in-depth anti-hero great plot lines great storylines great characters surf cinema does not provide that and every time they try they fail miserably and as i've told you many times the only really really great surfing film was endless summer after that they should have burned the whole genre yeah well
1: i i'm asking you kind of to poke fun but also because i kind of uh, feel the same way where I'm not nearly as compelled to watch surf edits as I was uh, certainly when I was growing up, but if it has, like, if three to four legitimate people that I believe, or that I, whose opinions I trust, post about it, then that's that's when I'll kind of chime in. Like, I'll see Kelly Slater say, this was amazing, you should watch this, and I'll make a mental note of it, but I won't necessarily click over and then watch it. And then You know, I don't know, later Stephanie Gilmore does it and I go, oh okay, maybe I should do that and then the WSL does it and then I go, okay three, that's enough, now I'll actually go watch whatever it is Um, recently for me what that was, which I finally got around to watching right before you and I got on the phone, is Red Bull's they're calling it People Watching and it's, the subtitle is it's an unfiltered, unbiased, behind the scenes glimpse of the Pipe Masters and it's 22 minutes long very, very little production value. It's just them being behind the scenes at the Pipe Masters and they'll give little title cards of day one. And the sun comes up and then they'll oh they'll um catch audio of John Pizell talking to Eric Geiselman and Shane Dorian about he's like, Yeah dude, Jadson Andre when he was like thirteen years old brought Idolo over to my house and he's like, hey you should sponsor this guy. He's gonna be a world champ one day and I was like, I don't know how to get him boards in Brazil. So I never like even took him seriously, but he was right. Idolo was amazing. Then they cut to somebody else of behind the scenes. And it's these little snippets, real lo-fi, again, not, not production value. There's no graphics packages or anything like that. It's just the behind the scenes of the Pipe Masters. And it's almost, by the way, better than any recap that the WSL put out about their own event. It's the second best thing I've watched about the Pipe Masters after the Pipe of Masters event itself. It's really, really good. And it's 22 minutes, and it's kept my attention the entire time.
0: Yeah, that no, I mean, that sounds good, and I'm sure that I would enjoy it too. It's just, you know, maybe, I, I, I don't know, maybe I would like it. But by the way, I just remember, I recalled, I watched the Andy Irons movie on Netflix with my wife. That was the last long-form film I saw. And it was pretty good. How long ago? Did you watch uh, it recently or was that a while ago? Yeah, before? I probably watched it like eight months ago or something. You know, long after it was out. Right, right. Me too. It took me a while to get around to that. And it was okay. You uh, know, it, it was okay. It, I, I I, was – I liked it. And, yeah. the, and the other thing that I saw that I really liked, which I just randomly saw, was Stab in the Dark. The one I think – the one Mick Fanning did. Uh, with the EPS
1: and, epoxy boards that were all black. No, I, Was it, it? Well, the recent one was all three guys. It was like Fanning, Jordy, and Dane.
0: Yeah, I think that's the one. I don't remember black boards. It was like it was like two years old or something. It might have been a year old. It wasn't. Oh, okay. It wasn't one of the I'm, recent. I'm sorry, ones. the
1: boards weren't. Okay, the one. The fanning one was in Japan, right?
0: Exactly. That's where I saw it. In fact, I watched it in Japan and that's why they were showing it because it was a Japan one. Okay, got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And that was good. I really enjoyed that and that's because there there was a lot of surfboard stuff, you know, like I'm kind of intrigued in, with surfboards themselves more than you know, what, you know, some guy eating breakfast or whatever, some, you know, Kelly Slater eating breakfast in black and white, I, whatever. Yeah.
1: Okay, so I actually had this in my notes too, so we can kind of segue. We can come back to the other stuff too, but I wanted to hear your opinion on um, the various surfboard reviewers that are out there right now. Stab in the Dark, I think, would qualify. Mikey Ciamarella from Stab also does surfboard reviews. Um, There's a guy who has a YouTube and Instagram account, Noel Salas. It's called Surf and Show. There's Craig in Australia does the Surfboard Guide. And then Beach Grit does an anonymous surfer who they – literally he wears a hood in the lineup that covers his face like a full mask and surfs and reviews boards anonymously. Um, have you seen any of these? Do you have opinions on any of them? <laughs> Would you recommend to listeners to watch any of these? You're a guy who loves surfboards. Do you watch surfboards? Okay. So reviews?
0: yeah, here's here's my take on some of this stuff. Um The wonderful thing about surfboards is that they're all different. And a board that you love, I might hate. And a board that I hate, you might love. And vice versa and versa vice. And so there's no such thing as like a good surfboard or a bad surfboard. They're just surfboards. And if you weigh 10 pounds more than me or are wearing 20 pounds of wetsuit, the board that I love, you might hate. And so the concept that there's guys... Saying, "Hey, this board did this for me, and this board didn't do this for me," doesn't ha- doesn't have anything to do with how that board might react when I'm on that board. And so, I think that surfboard reviews are good. I think it's cool that they do it. I think that there's something to be taken away from it. Probably, you know, like you might learn something, especially if you're sort of a newbie to the space. But I don't think you should base a purchase. On what some guy that's ripping lowers specifically Salas, who he absolutely rips at lowers every time, right? Yeah. And and there's also some some obvious subjective, you know, concerns there, which is why I kind of chuckled with the beach grit thing. It's kind of cool that they put a mask on somebody, and do they actually have the guy go? I hated this board. This board didn't work for me. You know, actually, the way that they do that is. Uh, Stephen Shearer
1: writes reviews about the boards and the anonymous surfer actually never gives any commentary. He's just doing the shredding. Like, you could watch the board being written
0: by anonymous surfer, but the reviews themselves
1: yeah. are coming from Stephen Shearer, who obviously has written the board as well.
0: Yeah, I, 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 do, I do think there's plenty of room for those things, and I think they all... I know it's hard work, and I think that they're probably all doing a good job at it on some level, but like I said, I... I I know that you have a board that you love that I would probably hate, and I have a board that I love that I'm sure you would probably hate or just not like. You know, wouldn't you? Wouldn't be like, oh, glowing review because Scott loves it. I'm gonna love it. You know, it's just that's the beauty of surfboards. That's why I, I have four in production right now. I'm constantly trying new boards. <laughs> four? Yes. <laughs> you are out of control. I know. Dude. I know. I've got two from... Is your wife going to hear this and get angry? No, because she knows it's all part of the business. But
1: (laughs) How convenient. You structured a business (laughs) to supply your surfboard habit. That was your whole plan from the beginning. It was an evil
0: plan, and the the cover's been lifted off. Yeah, but anyway. That's why I got into the wine business. Yeah, because... Yeah, all right, yeah. See you in rehab.
1: Um, (laughs) Um... so while I while I agree with what you're saying, it really, really is a super simplified and also throws the baby out with the bathwater. If what you were saying is true, then we would have to throw out what our shaper is telling us that we should do with our surfboard or which board we should ride based on our shaper's feedback. You know what I mean? The reality is feedback and explanation of how contours and channels and fins work is
0: solely what we have to
1: go on. And that's what the surfboard reviewers are trying
0: to provide us. Yeah, no, I, I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad. I'm just saying that you got to take them with a grain of salt that, you, you okay. know, I mean, look, some of the best boards I've ever gotten or ridden, uh, I bought used at like a surf swap, you know, and they were dinged up and crappy. Yeah. I mean, I remember I went down to El Salvador one time, and the boards didn't make it. And um, I ended up borrowing a like a 5'2 Sunset Fish kneeboard from Jimmy Rotherham that was sitting in Bob Rotherham's. You know, I had spider webs on it. It was just beat to shit. It had open dings. This was a kneeboard. And the board went insane. And if you saw it, you'd be like, that's the ugliest piece of crap ever. Like, But the board was absolutely killer. And so my point is is that, yeah. you know, like, is the surfboard reviewer guy going to say, hey, you know what? This 1974 kneeboard's actually pretty good. No, he's going to go, this thing's a piece of shit. I can probably do you one better. And he probably can. But the point is, is that, you know, I just don't think there's anything a- – and I know, you know it's not a stretch here, but there's no such thing as a perfect surfboard. There's just, um, you know, different boards for different conditions. Um, I would argue that the reason why that kneeboard situation worked so
1: good was because it was so far out of your paradigm. Like sometimes that is the best possible thing for your surfing is getting on something that forces you. Thank you. Forces you to completely start from scratch. Like
0: just Did your fiancé just bring you like some coffee or something? Did you hear it being poured right now? <laughs> N-
1: nothing, but Ko- nothing but Kona's finest, dude. I texted her while we were recording to bring it. Um, oh, oh, my God. But um, you know what I mean? Like getting on a, a completely out of left field board forces you to think about your foot placement. It forces you to think about standing up and then finding trim on the wave. And all of those things are good for kind of
0: resetting your surfing. Do you agree? I do. But let me ask you this. Um, I I fully agree with that. I fully agree with that. Have, if you look back in your past, have you purchased a lot of used boards? Yeah. Or off the rack boards.
1: I, I bet you I've purchased more used or, and off the rack than I have custom. I've been, Almost exclusively custom for the last, I don't know, seven years or something. But prior to that, it was a lot of used boards.
0: And usually when you purchase something used or even off the rack, you're like putting it under your arm. You're like, you're, there's just a connection for whatever reason, sort of based on your past experience riding other hundreds of boards. But you're like, I think this one's going to be the one, you know? And I don't think that a surf, a guy that's giving you a review online or wherever about a surfboard. Is going to be able to, you know, give you that same sort of I got the board under my arm sort of vibe where you're like, oh, this one feels right. You know, haven't you done surfboard reviews? I have. And and it just gets to a place where it's like, first of all, I personally don't want to poo poo on any surfboard builder. You know, because above what I said, like, I might not like the board. It doesn't mean the board's not good. It just means I didn't like it. You might love it. And that's why surfboard yeah. reviews are kind of, you know,
1: to each his own, you know. So have you watched uh, Michael, Mikey Ciamarella's
0: surfboard reviews on Stab? No, I haven't. But I'm sure he does a good job because everything okay. he does is pretty damn good. Yeah, because I have watched him and
1: I don't disagree with what you're saying, basically. I watch him and I think to myself, this is well done. I'm not compelled to buy the board or to not buy the board. He surfs way better than I do and differently than I do. So I I guess I'd have a hard time translating what he's saying to my experience. And then my final thought after it is, I wonder if people are having a different experience than I am watching this. I wonder if there are people watching this going, wow, I'm taking away so much information. Here's what my next, pur- next purchases are going to be like. That's, the, that's my final thought whenever I watch them I and you summed yeah. that all up, basically. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if the reason that we're feeling this way is because there hasn't been anybody who's nailed the genre yet.
0: No, I, I think we just nailed the genre. I think, there, I, I think the nailing of the genre is you need to kind of figure it out on your own. Look, a guy can go, look, you know, you weigh this amount, this is the volume we recommend, or this is how wide it should be, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, you just kind of have to use your own experience to determine which board you think is right for you. And, you know, based on where you surf and where you're going to go surf and all of those things.
1: Yeah, but the same thing could be said about um, film reviewers, you know, where – everybody's taste in film is so different, but what you learn to do is develop a preference for a certain reviewer. Kind of like, Oh, I know this person feels this way about this genre. So if they talk about, I don't know, horror films, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt, but I still am entertained and I'm entertained by their review. And then secondly, they're providing a bunch of context that helps me appreciate the film when I ultimately see it. So even if they didn't like the film, they give you context about who the filmmaker is past work that they did, what cinematographer they've worked with or what actors they've worked with. And then that helps me to place it into my own understanding of that film. Maybe, you know? Okay. No. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> i think we haven't found a surfboard reviewer yet that nails the genre dude i'm gonna oh i was gonna say i don't want to be that guy but uh i champion for somebody who will be that guy no okay. i was gonna say that i will take on the mantle and go ahead and uh, start reviewing surfboards but i so uh, don't want to
0: review surfboards no you don't i don't at on all. hey last tuesday the honolulu city council their Committee on Parks, Community Services, and Intergovernmental Affairs voted to allow a resolution aimed at encouraging regulators to enshrine gender equity in the city's permitting process for surf contests. That's a mouthful of bureaucracy right there. I have no so, idea what this means. I'm going to tell you what it means. Resolution 2012 would strongly urge the Department of Parks and Recs in Honolulu to adopt new rules for granting permits for surfing contests that would mandate that any and every event features a women's division. To be clear, the passage of this resolution doesn't mean that the WSL will be mandated to include a women's division in events at Haleiwa or Sunset Beach or even a women's Pipeline Masters effective immediately. That's not going to happen immediately. However, this resolution receiving the level of support it's gotten so far um, means that, and by the way, it passed. The question of whether the women's tour should conclude at Pipeline may actually be moot. It may soon be against the rules. If it does not conclude at Pipeline, it might be against the rules. Should David, and I've asked you this question a thousand times, should the women's tour conclude at pipeline in conjunction with the men's
1: tour? Uh, it should not be mandated by the government. That's the answer. Like I think, well, okay. I think women, women and men and trans and everybody else should have equal access. So equal opportunity, but we, to force an equal outcome is completely contrary to progress that's actually regressive certain people have certain talents and those talents are going to shine based on a variety of factors and you can't force it if you force it that then becomes affirmative act it becomes the opposite of progress you know so give them that opportunity yeah they should have an opportunity in the permit to choose whether or not they want to run their event at pipeline but ultimately the women, the women's tour, the female surfers themselves, and the commissioner need to decide where they will best showcase their talents, and that's up that's up for them to pick.
0: And if the women say, "Yeah, let's let's also have our final event at Pipeline with the men," do you think this is a good idea?
1: Yes, if they decide that, then yes, it's a good idea. Why? Because the waves are amazing. Pipeline's the most exciting wave on the planet, and I would love to see them surf out there. And if they feel they're up for the challenge and they can go out there and get the scores, then great. If they, conversely, on the other end, decide, no, Pipeline uh, is beyond our capabilities, let's go surf down the beach at a one-foot beach break, we can choose not to watch that. That turns out to not be exciting to the viewers nor the sponsors, and nobody will watch. Ultimately, in the past decade, they have found a medium ground, which is Honolua Bay that is challenging and suits their surf- surfing ability of the top surfers and it's good watching. it's good viewing, you know. So but I would love to see them step up to pipeline.
0: I too think they should be challenged by the perhaps the greatest wave in the world. However, the problem isn't if they're men or women. the problem is, There's just not enough time in the waiting period to force all this into one contest. And you and I have been, you know, beating the drum to trim down the number of contestants in these events so that we can watch it in two days. And now we've got 32 men plus a trials. And now you're going to add another, I don't know, 16 women to the waiting period and it doesn't matter again it doesn't matter the gender it's the amount of time it's going to take regardless it it could be an all trans event but if there's 58 of them it's not going to be you know suitable for your you and i to watch an event in two days i mean they they solve that problem at a bunch
1: of other venues around the world there's a bunch of events that are both the men's tour and the women's tour happening simultaneously and it's too long I agree. It's too long, and somebody always gets uh, shortchanged with the crappier forecast.
0: Yeah, there's just not enough swell and time and perfection to fit 58 or 70 surfers. It's just simply too much. Look,
1: I don't even know why this um, this decision is happening on a governmental level. Was there ever an issue with getting women's permitting at Pipeline? I don't think that was the problem, right? It's not like the women on tour are going... We demand an event at pipeline, and the government's going. No, we're not going to give you a permit for it. Well,
0: um, some movers and shakers, uh, you know, on Oahu and in Honolulu, um, felt that the girls weren't getting their fair share, so they they caught um, an attentive ear over there in the in the bureaucracy in Honolulu, and they people agreed, and so they've passed this resolution. And so,, uh, basically, look,
1: if they didn't if they didn't pass it, they would look sexist. I have a feeling that somebody's trying to look good at city hall by doing this super easy layup, which is we stand for equality. Anybody who says no to this is gonna look terrible. so, but if I get this approved, it's a feather in my cap, and that's more what this is about.
0: Well, this resolution but because, because who would be against it? Well, I guess somebody that is looking at it pragmatically, like, hey, this doesn't make sense from a time standpoint, like what I just said. But resolution twenty twelve, it strongly urges the Department of Parks and Recs to adopt new rules for granting permits for surf contests that Mandates any and every event feature a women's division. So this resolution isn't binding. In other words, all it does is strongly urge the person that actually makes the decision at Parks and Recs to make sure that a women's division is in each and every event. But it doesn't necessarily... Um, it's not like ironclad.
1: You know what, though? Honestly... If we're really talking about equality, then they don't just need a women's division. They need a women's division with the same number of surfers um, and heats as the men division with the same amount of prize money, too. So even the way that the WSL tours are structured, that's not equivalent. There's only 17 women on tour and there's 34 men.
0: This is the type of thing that could help accelerate a deterioration of the WSL format as we know it and get us closer to this UFC pay-per-view. It's going to be John John Florence, Gabe Medina, Idolo, and a wild card, somebody like, who knows? You know, there's a bunch of opportunities there. Um, Stephanie Gilmore. Maybe. That would be, or Carissa or whoever, except Carissa's going to get married and have a kid. Or no, she is married, but she's going to have a kid. Um, But I think this is going to accelerate. This is the type of thing that's going to accelerate the UFC thing that we're sort of hoping for. Yeah. I don't disagree. They're all just going to pull out. Everyone's just going to go, Scott, it's just too difficult to pull off. You know what? Have the women's pipeline event. We're going to have this specialty event at pipe on one day in January. Speaking of which, you're right in line for, are you going over there for the Vulcan pipe pro? That's what I figured you were doing uh that wasn't the plan
1: but yeah it's going to my trip's going to overlap with that it starts tomorrow
0: oh does it yeah okay then maybe not i'm going over on the first i think the vulcan pipe pro starts tomorrow i'm pretty sure and the and the waiting period looks good the swell looks solid okay so maybe i'll miss it i'm gonna go on the first
1: I have a musty moment. Before you do, or maybe yours actually relates to what I was just going to ask you about, which was the big day at Jaws. Um, obviously, there's a couple of highlight rides we could talk about there, but also, should the Eddie have run? You're a guy who tracks swell forecasts. Uh, what's the status with the Eddie,
0: Dude, it was pumping. I know. So should it have run on uh, well, Saturday? I don't know. It's so funny. I pulled it up online, and I was like, God, it's Mac Daddy out there. It was legit. Um. Uh, You know, to be honest with you, I didn't, I'm not, I didn't study that swell very thoroughly. I just knew that, that it was 18 to 20 feet at at Waimea and I gave a look at it and it was a very solid swell. And, you know, I don't know if there was enough of that solid swell throughout the day to, to, um, to make it. You know, so that the event should have run. I don't know. I I, I didn't study this well enough. Do you have any insight
1: into contest organizers now that Quicksilver isn't involved and there is no main sponsor? Is it as, um,
0: I mean, I think
1: it's pretty grassroots. Would it have run? Might be like, would it have run if the old, um, committee was involved? Was it an issue of just being disorganized?
0: I again, I don't know because I didn't take a real solid look at the swell, but Quicksilver was really brilliant at not running the event. you know like that was the best thing that they did was they, they would kind of build up to a crescendo and then George Downing would just be like, no, it's not quite big enough. And they would get all the marketing power out of it and then not have the event. you know, and there was something to be said for that, only running the event every eight years or whatever. Kind of adds to the to the luster and to the allure, and certainly there were swells where you could have scratched your head and said, "Yeah, they should have run it that year." But and that Saturday might have been one of those swells. I don't know, but I can't. I don't have any insight into who's running that event over there. But uh, so whether they should have run more will more will be revealed. Whether they should have run or not, I guess you and I can't figure out.
1: But you did just highlight that they've done a horrible job of letting us know that they could have even potentially run. You know, like if they ran on Saturday, we probably would have mostly learned about it late on Saturday or mostly on Sunday, Where as Quicksilver would have let us know for months in advance.
0: Yeah, there would have been a green light, yellow light, you know. So they've already, they've already dropped the ball then. Pot- potentially, yeah. Uh, you make a good point. You made the point that I'm reaffirming. <laughs> You're the one that said that Baron should date a trans girl named Zendaya. That's all.
1: I can't wait for Zendaya's people to come out and like, you know, sue sue our podcast, and that'll be the biggest news event that we've ever had in our lives.
0: <laughs> it's gonna be really good for PR.
1: I'm gonna start tweeting at them, be like, "Hey, these two idiots on this surf podcast are uh, discussing Zendaya's gender orientation. Take them to task, lawyers." It'll be our biggest boon ever. Yeah,
0: could happen. Um,
1: yeah. So, what's your must-see moment?
0: Um, well, I had Asher Pacey surfing uh, the video edit was called Peso's Point. It was just Asher ripping up this right hander. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but but I just watched Tom Lowe's paddling beast from a different angle, and there was a, an angle from the beach that was ridiculous because. Well, just because the wave is incredible. But this this angle from the water is pretty cool too. So my must-see moment is Tom Lowe paddling into this Irish slab and getting a ridiculous one. Uh, that's my must-see moment. Do you remember where you saw the beach
1: angle? I haven't seen that.
0: Uh, I'm not sure where I saw the beach angle. I want to say surf line. Okay, I'll look it up. But it was, it was mental. Because I saw the the uh, water angle,
1: but it looks like it was shot on an iPhone and it's not zoomed in. And the wave looks gnarly, but you can't quite, I couldn't anyways on my phone, I couldn't get a read on his positioning. Like, was he really deep or which was he in like the most critical section or whatever, but the wave was obviously super duper gnarly.
0: Yeah. There, I hope you get a chance to look at the beach angle. Cause it's from that positioning where He back, you know, he gets a sick one, and then there's another section that folds over him, and you're kind of like, oh, I guess he got wiped out, and then he comes out at the end, so it's pretty good. What, uh, to what degree does
1: being in a five mil wetsuit, hood, booties, and gloves make it gnarlier?
0: I think you know times four. I agree. (laughs) especially you know just getting to your feet and all that rubber.
1: It's hard. I agree. Everything about it, I mean, before you even paddle out, when you just wake up in the morning and you're trying to get your bearings and load your car and get to the beach, that's already four times harder. And then getting out into the lineup (laughs) and dealing with it and getting in position, like it's scarier, it's murkier, it's darker. Everything about it is scarier than warm water.
0: Absolutely. There's no doubt.
1: No doubt. Uh, My must-see moment, I posted on Surf Splendor's Instagram last night with was a grom getting a surfboard for his birthday from serpent sleds in Australia. Did you see this? No board porn just reposted it this morning. So you can find it there too, but dude, it's the greatest. And I posted one, I don't know, around Christmas time of Ollie Curran, Tim Curran's kid getting a new um, fish from Channel Islands and Tim and his wife, put the board out front and like somebody knocked on the door. So the kid goes to open the door and his new surfboard's sitting there on Christmas morning. And the kid screams like a banshee at the top of his lungs for like 30 seconds straight. (laughs) It's the greatest thing ever. And so the one that I just posted yesterday is, um, I think his name's Andrew Mooney is the surfboard shaper and his label is serpent sleds. And somebody ordered a custom and then gifted it to a kid and they're covering his eyes. And then they, having put his hands out and he like is feeling the board with his eyes closed and as soon as he kind of identifies what it actually is in his hands they open up yeah. his eyes and he does the same exact freakish uh high pitched squeal for like uncontrollable for 30 seconds and it's pure pure joy. So I'm it's my musty moment and I'm also advocating that We need to gift more surfboards. If This should be the new viral sensation like the Ice Bucket Challenge was years ago where kids get surfboards and scream at the top of their lungs.
0: I love it. You know, this is why we do the boardroom. This is why you're a part of it. This is why I'm a part of it because surfboards are the philosophical icon of enduring youth. You can put a brand new board under a 90-year-old's arm and he's going to feel like a 12-year-old. And the same, as you mentioned, is true for a 12-year-old. Philosophical icon of enduring youth, the surfboard, and that's why the boardroom is so much fun. May 2nd and 3rd at the Del Mar Fairgrounds.
1: Say it again. Where? By the way, that is an epic tagline. I heard it years ago. I feel like I haven't heard it since. Say it again for the people in the back, Scott.
0: The surfboard is the philosophical icon of enduring youth. Who came up with that? Uh, I think, I think Sam George might've come up with that. I'd like to take credit for it, but I think Sam did that. I mean, it, it sounds, I mean, no
1: offense, but it sounds like a Severson quote from, you know, issue number one or something like that's iconic.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. I think maybe I did. I would be surprised if I actually came up with that. I'm pretty sure Sam might have come up with that. But I like it. It is, it's, yeah, and that's our marketing line for this year. I've re, I've, uh, I've come back to it, I've come full circle. So we're putting that out there on our marketing this year. More, the Boardroom International Surfboard Show presented by U.S. Blanks, May 2nd and 3rd at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. And it is truly international this year. I've got, surfboard makers from australia from south africa from brazil from hawaii uh the east coast the west coast here canada it's going to be killer we're pretty and we're getting filled up i mean this thing is moving quickly here so um, it's really cool we excited good
1: i'll be there um we always get to interact with a lot of podcast listeners there which is really nice um and then my i've got a duke and a kook Scott, before we go, my Duke is Billy Kemper for his insane barrel at Jaws on Saturday where he actually levitates midway through it. He backdoors a crazy right. It's the deepest barrel at Jaws I've ever seen. A lot of them, they're just pulling up into like the pocket and it peels in front of them a bit and it's a legit barrel. But this one, he's actually backdooring the thing and pumping a gun and he hits a foam ball. He levitates. There's a a shot, like a screen frame grab of him looking into the tube where he's fully a foot or two in the air on his board, but in the air, and then he lands it and rides out, gets spit out of a proper barrel at Jaws. And then he went on to win Sunset yesterday, the QS event at Sunset. So Billy Kemper goes from strength to strength to strength, and he
0: is my Duke of the Week. Is Billy Kemper more marketable than... John John Florence from a mainstream, non-endemic brands point of view? Yeah, he might be. Yeah, I could see an energy bar or somebody like that. Under Armour? Under Armour? Good call. Under Armour because he just because
1: all of his Instagram posts that aren't surfing are him working out in the gym or outdoors,
0: you know? How about Kai Lenny doing that little chop hop? On, he gets towed into a wave, and he's just ass-turning, waiting for the wave to stand up. As soon as it does, he does this little chop-hop and then just starts grinding down the face. It's so sick.
1: Yep. I am a fan of the chop-hop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so my kook of the week is PayPal for holding $87,000 that SurfCore2001, the Instagram account, raised for the Australian fires. Um so at Surfcore 2001 posts photos from old surfing mags with really great captions and want he wanted to do something he's based in Australia and he wanted to do something for the uh to support and donate to the Australian Fire Relief Fund and did a bunch of t-shirts and sold t-shirts and all of the money went through PayPal and PayPal Was like, who's this guy? Like, this guy, here's his normal account activity. And then one week, he gets $87,000 deposited into his account. And so, due to their suspicions, apparently they held back the money and they wouldn't give it to him. I don't know if it's been resolved because that update is about a week old at this point. But PayPal, get your act together. The fire, the wild victims of the wildfire need those funds released. And uh, kook move. All right. Paypal. Somebody trying trying to do good work and they're holding it, holding it up.
0: Yeah. And I, I would urge listeners to give a little bit of money to, I think I gave to like the wildlife relief fund or some, I forget exactly what it was, but Tom Carroll put something out there on Instagram and I threw some dollars that way. And if you've got, you know, 20 bucks or whatever to, to give, you should consider it.
1: Yeah. All right, Scott. Well, uh, I'm glad this technology allows us to uh, hang out a little bit when we're an ocean apart.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure about this podcast. I feel like I'm low energy. I don't feel like I connected with you as much as I do when we're in person. I I sense that it's just not as good as our normal way. Wow. Way to sell it, Scott. Good job. Hey, I'm all about honesty and just calling it like i hear it apparently you are jeez uh i i on the other hand feel
1: um optimistic revitalized i'm feeling great feeling great about this podcast i'm feeling great about the future i'm feeling great about getting a little surf session heading north right now from Lahui. okay go go
0: get them have fun <laughs> what are you gonna do Until what are you gonna time. do with your day I've got I've got a meeting here at noon I gotta get to. Okay, good. Enjoy. Until next time, adios and alo.